wonderful to be with each of you today. We're glad we can be together to study God's word, to encourage, to remind, and to honor our God, whom we love so much and so dearly. This evening, we're going to wrap up our chair series. We're going to talk about a very important question, and that is, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? That bothers us. That bothers the world. And the world's solution to that is to just eliminate hell. Across this country, most preachers, most seminaries, most theological schools, they've given up on the subject of hell. The Bible still teaches that. And so this evening, we're going to, in a conversational, back-and-forth question format, address that topic. And it's a topic that fuels our evangelism. If you believe there is a hell, and if you believe you have some loved ones who are not doing what's right, that's all you need to know to talk to them about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this evening. We appreciate that so much. Well, where to start? That's how we begin our lesson. Preacher's got an idea. Went to do a sermon. Where does he start it? An author. He has an idea he wants to write. Where do you start? It's a Saturday morning, and you want to clean out your garage, and you walk in there, and you look at all that stuff. Where do I start? Maybe you're a mama, and you want to purge your kid's closet, and you open up the doors, and there's stuff to the rafters, and you think, where do I start? Maybe you're at a point in life when you think, you know what? We don't have any savings. We need to start investing. Where do I start? That's a fantastic question to ask. And we're going to be talking about that this morning in our lesson. In the Bible, God always starts with the beginning. That's how the Bible begins. In the beginning. In Matthew 19, when the disciple, brother, when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus about marriage and divorce, he took them back to the beginning. And, and that's a wonderful concept. What we're going to look at today is this idea of studying the Bible. You hear preachers saying that all the time. Jason says that all the time. I say that all the time. You need to study your Bible. And we think, okay, I hear that, I hear that, I hear that. Where do I start? What does that mean? Now, studying your Bible is essential. It's essential, first of all, for spiritual growth. If you want to become what God wants you to become, you're going to spend some time in that Bible. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Your faith doesn't grow strong by just walking in the woods. Your faith doesn't grow strong by just sitting down and watching a movie. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to pour the Bible into your heart. We need the Bible because it's essential for spiritual maturity, to be able to grow up in Christ. To be able to discern what's right, what's wrong. What is it that God wants me to do? That comes from maturity. And then to be effective as a Christian. To be able to make a difference to the people in my world. I need to have the knowledge of God's word and to study God's word as God wants me to. And so we appreciate that the more the Bible's in us, the less the world will be in us. And when we face that problem, that's the answer right there. Some Christians are very worldly. Some Christians walk right up to the edge. Debbie and I years ago went to Grand Canyon, and they got the rails next to the edge there. Down below is about a mile drop. 
and you always see some guy who climbed over the edge. He's got a camera. He's right on the edge. And some Christians do the same thing with right and wrong. I want to get right to the edge, and I want to lean over and see what happens. When we got the Bible in us, you're going to stay away from the world because the world does not help you. The more the Bible's in you, the more confident, the more successful, the more pleasing to God you will be. And so this is where we talk about where to start. Where to start? Is simply reading the Bible the same thing as studying the Bible? I read, I study, I study, I read. Are they, are they the same words? And I think one of the mistakes we've made for years is we've never told people how to study the Bible. No one ever told me. I became a Christian. I just started reading it like I read other books. And there's some things you need to know. There are three words that will help you. Now, the idea of studying your Bible is interesting because Bible study, that phrase, studying your Bible, Bible study is not found in scriptures. In fact, the word Bible itself is not in the Bible, but the concept is. And so, for instance, in Acts 17, what were they doing? They were studying the Bible. Now, these were more noble-minded than those Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures. What were they doing? They were studying the Bible. That's what we're emphasizing here. In the book of Thessalonians, Paul praised this church because they received the preached word of God, not as the voice of man, but as it was the voice of God. They recognized the Bible was the voice of God, and they received it that way. Way back in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, the priests got up and read from the book from the law of God, translating it to give sense so that they would understand the reading. Studying the Bible, knowing what God has said, knowing what God wants you to do, that is essential. When Jesus was tempted in the garden in Matthew chapter 4, he said to the serpent, or to the devil, rather. He said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We begin by understanding the Bible is the divine book, and it must be looked at differently than any other book. When I was in high school, one of the few classes that still I use today was just called a speed reading class. You put this book on this little machine, there's a little bar of light, and it just went down like that. And it helps you to read very fast. I use it all the time today. When I get an article, someone sends me an article, I'll look at the headline, read the first paragraph, the last paragraph, and I'll just skim the rest. Pretty much got 90% of that article. Now, when we come to the Bible, it's different than that. It's different because Jesus tells us that every single word is important. It's not enough to read the first paragraph, the last paragraph, and just kind of skim the rest because I'm going to miss things. So when I look at the Bible, it's going to be different than reading my biology book in school. It's different than reading some novel over here. I'm going to approach the Bible unlike any other book, and the reason is it's God's book. It's a divine book, and that makes all the difference in the world. Three words. Here's the first one. The first one is observation. And observation simply means to see. And that's what we're talking about. Every single 
word is important. And so you're going to look at every single word. Now let me run through some examples of what we're talking about here, for instance. We're going to talk about whether a word is singular or plural, because that makes all the difference in the world. Here's an example of this in the book of Galatians. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to his seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed that is Christ. The plurality or the singular nature of that word changes that whole prophecy. Was Jesus through one line or was he through many lines? That's what Paul's driving at there. The tense of a word. Past tense, present tense, future tense. Here's an example. Matthew 22. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When, when Jesus said these words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, but God was still their God. Had he said, I was their God, that changes the meaning here. Or I will be their God, that changes the meaning, doesn't it? I am presently. They're not on earth today, but they are still alive. I am still their God, is what he's saying there. And again, we see that. We see that, for instance, when Jesus made this promise in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will. Not I did come, I might come, I, 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 I once came, I will come. So what this is telling us right away as we study our Bibles is you're looking at every single word. And you're noticing these things about words. You're going to notice, for instance, words that are repeated. Over and over. Here in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this parable. The story about a man who owed a whole bunch of talents. He couldn't pay it back. And he begged his master for forgiveness. And he says, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. And the master forgave him. That very same servant had someone that owed him just a little bit. Imagine you owe me a million dollars. And you can't pay it. And I say, you know what? I'm going to just forgive the debt. But somebody, you turn around, you leave me, and you go meet somebody else, and he owes you $5. Big difference in money. And you start beating that guy, treating him rough, because he won't pay you $5, even though I forgave you a million dollars. Notice what takes place here. This, man, this servant found this guy. Owed him very little. His slave fell to the ground, began pleading with him. Notice it is the same words. He uses the same words again. And so when you study your Bible, you're noticing things like this. His master could forgive him, but when the same words were repaid, repeated, he could not forgive someone else. There's a lesson you see there. We look, for instance, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. This is also found in Hebrews chapter 4. But notice how many times he says the word let us. Not you, not me, but us. Repeated words. Now when you're reading your Bible, you're going to see these things. And they're going to jump out at you. And you're going to notice these things. Because these things are important as you consider that. You're going to notice pronouns. Now I'm going to need you to turn your Bible to Acts 2 to finish this point here. But in Acts chapter 1... 
I want you to notice here in just a minute some pronouns. One of the major doctrines in a religious community today is speaking in tongues. They believe that when you're saved, you can speak in tongues. The proof of that is Acts 1, Acts 2. They say everybody in Acts 1 and Acts 2 spoke in tongues. So let's just see that. So we go over to Acts chapter 1, and I want you to notice, as we read this, I want you to notice the pronouns. The first account, it says, Acts 1 verse 1, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After he had the Holy Spirit given, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, who's these? The apostles. He also presented himself alive, it says, after suffering by many convincing proof, appearing to them, who's them? The them are the these, the these are the apostles. Over a period of 40 days, speaking of these things, concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, who gathered together, the apostles, he commanded them, the apostles, not to leave Jerusalem, Continues on down in verse 6. So what they had come together, they were asking him. This is all the apostles talking here. Now carry it over to chapter 2, if you will, with me. Acts chapter 2, let's look at the first four verses. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. Who's they? We'll go all the way back to chapter 1, isn't it? We're still talking about the apostles. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a mighty violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Who's they? That's the apostles. And they appeared to them. Who's to them? The apostles. Tongues of fire distributed of themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Who's them? The apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. Who spoke in tongues? Everybody in that room? No. The apostles. How do you get that, preacher? I notice the pronouns. You see that? That's Bible study. You just notice the words, and it carries over, and it helps you understand things. You notice, for instance, reactions in your Bible. The book of Mark is powerful in this. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, it says that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, it says that they became very much afraid because he calmed the wind and the storm. And then in Mark chapter 6, after he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped, they were greatly astonished. What you see is over and over, you're noticing these things. You read these and they stand out like a flashing light. You notice, for instance, verbs. Jason, this past week, wrote a wonderful article about Genesis chapter 1, our Bible reading. And what do we read in Genesis 1? God said, God created, God placed, God saw, God blessed. Action words of God. And we take away from that that God was very active in creation. That's something we observe and we see. We notice, for instance, the idea of action words. Words such as flee, flee fornication, flee youthful lust, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. This is calling us to do things. Watch, the Bible would say, watch your steps. Pay close attention to yourself, Paul would tell Timothy. So all these words, and what you're doing is as you're reading your Bible, you're seeing things. You're noticing. Every single word matters. You notice themes. Okay, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. By faith, by faith, by faith. Let's look at one example of this. 
Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused. What's faith? Faith is action. Faith is refusing to be called someone's son or daughter that I don't belong to. By faith, it's choosing. Choosing what is right. What is faith? Faith is the idea of considering. Considering what God wants me to do. What is faith? It's looking. Looking to where God wants me to be. What is faith? It's leaving things that are wrong. What is faith? It's enduring for Christ. What is faith? It's keeping the promises. There in one section, I understand what faith is. And when somebody says, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but it's not changed my life. I have do nothing different than I've ever done before. That's not what we're seeing here. Faith is action. Faith does things. And so where do you get that? By observing what the Bible says. Every single word is important. So in the book of Psalms, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. And one of the things I encourage you to do is to read slowly. Don't speed read the Bible. I don't speed read the Bible. When I read my Bible, I got a pen or pencil always with me. Because every time I open it up, I see things I had never seen before. Probably the most common comment I get about jump starts is how do you see all those things in the verses? I see because I'm observing. And you can do the same thing. So when it comes to studying your Bible, the first word is observe. Look, see these things. It's right there. Now, the second word, interpretation. Interpretation. Interpretation simply means how to understand this. And again, this is a very valuable aspect as we think about this concept. Now, this point, I'll admit, is hard. It's hard because of what we've been given through the years. It's been told to us over and over from generation to generation that no man can understand the Bible. Now, you can sit in an English class and understand Shakespeare. You can sit in a science class and understand biology or astronomy. You can go to your doctor and he understands why your knee is hurting. You can go to your mechanic and say, you know, my car makes this noise. It kind of goes dot, 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 dot. Mechanic can understand why your car is making that noise. You can go to the garden shop and say, you know, I've got these brown spots in my yard. And he'll say, I understand what causes those. But somehow... We're told that nobody can understand the Bible. And we're told that nobody can understand it the same. And that has just given people a pass. Well, I don't see baptism the way you see baptism. I don't see the need to turn attend church like you see the need to attend church. And what that leads us is everybody has their own idea. Everybody has their own interpretation. And that leads to two terrible consequences. The first consequence of that is, first of all, God can't write. Shakespeare could write. The biology teacher could write. My doctor can write. My mechanic can write. I can read the newspaper. I can read a book. I can understand every single thing. But when I read the Bible, I can't understand it. I mean, God simply cannot write. And secondly, what that means is the Bible has no consistent meaning. We can never be unified because we don't know what the Bible says. Now, having said that, notice what Jesus said in John chapter 8. 
He said to those who believed in him, if you continue my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You can know it. Paul told the Ephesians not to be foolish, but understand the will of God. So first and foremost, we must just discount that and delete that from my mind. When somebody has told me through the years, you cannot understand the Bible, that's a lie. And when somebody says we cannot understand it the same way, that's a lie. We need to begin where God is and what God wants us to do. And so when it comes to interpretation, one of the first things that helps is what I call the four W's. You've heard this before in other things. The who, what, when, and why. That helps you. Let me read you something. It says, it was nearing midnight, and the prime minister was sitting alone in his office reading a long memo that was slipping through his brain without leaving the slightest trace of meaning behind. He was waiting for a call from the president of a far distant country. Now, what's that about? Is that about Churchill during the war? Is that about the prime minister of Japan? Is that about a, common prime, a new prime minister? Now, if I was to hold this up, this is the opening of this book. Oh, Harry Potter. Oh, Book six. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Context. You see? So when you just pull a verse out of the Bible, I, I, it's just like reading what I read. You had no idea what I was reading until you put it in a context. Oh, this is God talking to Moses. Oh, this is Paul talking to the church. Who is speaking? What is going on in the background? When is this going on? What's taking place? And why? When you look at your Bible, now this is all fiction. When you look at your Bible, we have all kinds of literature in our Bible. We have history. And that's just read, it's just as history is written. But then in our Bible, we have such places as poetry. And then we have prophecy. And then we have figurative language. Knowing the who, what, when, and why helps you understand that. For instance, in Psalm chapter 98, a passage of prophecy, or say, prophecy and poetry. It says, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Do rivers have hands? No. No. You know that, and I know that. But if you just open a verse up and say, well, all the Bibles will be taken literally, you have a problem with that, don't you? So you have to understand, what am I reading? Am I reading figurative language? Am I reading poetry? Am I reading history? The who, what, when, and why will help you. Now, here are the four steps of interpretation. Number one, let the Bible speak for itself. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. In Acts, excuse me, Luke 24, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, and those two men were walking with him, he began with Moses and the prophets and talked about himself. What Jesus did was he connected the dots. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 2. And again, let me just show you another example of this. In Acts chapter 2. Peter preaching here in verse 25 quotes from David. For David said of him, I was beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I will not be shaken. Then verse 30 it says, and so because he was a prophet, that's David, 
and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to sit one of his descendants upon the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ and that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up to whom we are all witnesses. What did Peter do? He quotes an Old Testament passage, but he connects the dots. This is what this is about. Remember in Acts chapter 8 when we had the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading from Isaiah. Who's this guy talking about, he says. And Philip explained to him, connecting to the, let the Bible speak for itself. Many, many times Jesus will explain a parable for us. He'll tell a parable and this a little bit later on he'll tell what it's about. Secondly, let the context interpret scripture. Look at the verses around it. Look at the chapter around it. What's going on? What's the setting? And that helps you as you try to understand what this passage is all about. Thirdly, let the intent interpret scriptures. There's a general intent of the scriptures. God, sovereign king. God has a kingdom. God wants us to be followers of him. That's a general tone all through the scriptures. And, and when you're reading a scripture, get that idea. What is the intent of what's going on? And then let the clear interpret the obscure. There are some passages that are difficult. There are some passages that sometimes it's hard for us to understand. And what you do is, here's what I already know. What I already know is not going to be taken away because of this obscure passage. Let what I know help me to know what I don't know. The idea of interpretation. Now, the third word, okay? And I'd encourage you to write this in the white pages of your Bible somewhere, just so you won't forget these. Observation, interpretation, and then application. This probably is the most important point of all of this. Because what am I supposed to do with this? I read it. I see it. I understand it, then what? Well, it's supposed to do something for me. So in Acts 2, when Peter was preaching, right in the middle of the sermon, they interrupted him and said, what shall we do? They understood that there was an application point that had to take place. In 2 Timothy 3, when Paul talked about all scriptures inspired of God and is profitable, he's telling us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Those are all things that we see that come from studying the Word of God. And so three simple words, observation, interpretation, application. See it, understand it, and then do it. And I think this would help us as we begin our Bible studies to understand these things. That I'm going to read this book a lot different than I read anything else in my life. I'm going to read this book a lot more slowly than I read any other book in my life. I'm going to look at every single word. I'm not going to pass on any words. I'm going to notice the word order. I'm going to notice who's speaking. I'm going to notice everything about that. Because these three simple principles, I think, can carry you through your life and help you. It took me a long time to learn these things. But I hope it will help you. Well, it's college time. And dad and mom are helping the son load up, head off to the campus. First month into campus, son spent all his money. We've all done that a little bit. So he calls home. Dad, can you send me some money? I spent everything I had. And the dad said, are you reading your Bible, son? Dad, dad we're not talking about Bible now. We're talking about I need some money. Can you give me some money? 
Son, have you read your Bible? Dad, I understand. That's important. I'm going to do that. But, you know, I need some money to get through the weekend. Can you just send me some money? Dad, you're not listening to me. Have you read John 3, 16? Dad, I can quote that. God so loved the world. I know that verse, Dad. Just send me some money. Have you read 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, about a young man being an example? I know, Dad. I know that verse. I heard a preacher preach on that. I know the value of it. Dad, can you li listen to me? Can you just send me some money? And the dad said, if you read John 3, 16, you'll notice I put a $100 bill there. And if you read 1 Timothy 4, there's another $100 bill there. And the son got real quiet. Started to cry. Apologized for his anger. He said, Dad, when we get off the phone, I'm going to start a daily Bible study. Now, there's two ways to take that story. If you're heading off to college and your dad makes sure you got your Bible, don't just do this. I said, good. Pick up the guys and go. All right? That's how a lot of people read that story. Good. Got my money. I'm out of here. Now, the point of that story is this Bible will help you. It will guide you into the making the right decisions. When you're off the campus or young people, you'll see things you've never seen before. You'll see people drinking stuff you didn't think you were supposed to drink. You see people smoking stuff. You think, wow, I didn't know people could smoke a two-by-four, but they're doing it. I mean, they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. And, and it's like perpetual camp. They stay up all hours of the night. Don't you know you got to go to school tomorrow? They don't, they don't think about that. This book will help you be moral, be pure, be righteous. You'll meet some people and they catch your attention. Some of you will fall in love. And this book will help you decide, is this somebody that will help me get to heaven? Is this somebody that's going to keep me on track when I get a little wiggly with God? It will help me with that. And then when you're done with college, you don't put this on yourself and say, good, here's my college yearbook, here's my Bible, we're done. No, sir, this is where it begins. Because you get married, Lord willing. Then you have kids, Lord willing. Then you get a career, Lord willing. And all through this, this book is guiding me. This is how God wants me to be as a husband or wife. This is how God wants me to be as a parent. This is how God wants me to be as a worker, as a citizen. This is how God wants me to be engaged in the kingdom. God has done these things. He is expecting this from me. How do you know all those things? Because I've seen, I've understood, and I've applied. And that's how it is. And through the rest of your life, till you finally go through that door called death, this book will help you. And I believe that through the years, we've just kind of gotten our mind, just read it. Just read it. So I'm supposed to read a chapter a day, so let's hurry up. I got the, I got the commercial on, my ball game's on, so I'm going to, you know, through the commercial, da, 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 okay, read my chapter, check it off. Good to go. Did you notice the words? Did you see all those things we talked about in that first point? Did you stop? Did you pause? Did you meditate? Did you become? That's what God wants us to do. And so in just a few moments, we're going to have a Bible class. And with skilled teachers, this is exactly what we're doing, trying to show you some of the wisdom found in this book. How do they know this? They've observed, they've interpreted, and they've applied. 
Same thing each of us can do. It will change your life. This is the lesson mom and dads need to do with their kids. Sit down, open the Bible, have them read it with you, and stop them once in a while. Do you see that word? Do you see him ask that question? Why do you think he asked that question? How was the answer to that question given? Was that a good answer? Was that a bad answer? And through all of that, you're learning, you're becoming, and you're doing what God wants you to do. So that's our thoughts today. Where does it start? Three simple words. Three words that can change your life. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you'll be one one way, and that's what this book says. There's no other way to be that. How do you know this is the right way? Because we see, we understand, and we've applied. Same thing. Same thing. And so we can help you in any way. If you'd like some further ideas about this, some further help in this, we'd be glad to sit down with you. If you would like a Bible study with one of us, just say, you know what, will you just sit down and show me what you see in this verse? We would be happy to walk you through that. But what we want you to do is see how, if you start using these three words, the rest of your life, how this book just becomes fascinating. It never, ever ends. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?